Well, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, what more of a fitting response could we give than that after declaring that beautiful truth that you, through your blood, have reconciled us to God for all those who have repented of their sin and confessed you as their Lord and Savior. You have saved our lives and you are building your church. Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church and we say thank you for how you are building it for your glory. We say thank you for how you have led us through a hard season and yet now here to this place as we launch into the new ministry or we say thank you for how you will continue to lead and guide and direct and establish. We thank you that it is only because of your blood that we can call on your name today. Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church. You say what you want to say to your church today through the living and active word of God. Holy Spirit, guard my mouth from error. Help us to have ears to hear today, eyes to see and hearts to respond to the truth. Holy Spirit, illuminate the beautiful and errant word of God to us today and change us. Do a saving work, a sanctifying work, a unifying work for your glory. We say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Get all the glory and it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Loved ones, let's open up our Bibles. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And here we are, and it is the ministry year kickoff. And we are so excited by God's grace to be able to regather in person together again. What a joy it is to be together. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, our theme for this year is Jesus over all. What a timely theme, right? Jesus over all. And I got some great news for you today. Hope Bible Church, you ready for this? Jesus is over all. Just let that sink in. When you think about what's going on in the world right now, when you think about the issues that are going on in your life right now, the, the things that cause fear and anxiety, remember, remember, bring them under this truth. Ready? Good theology. Here we go. Jesus is over all. He is the Lord. He is ruling and reigning over all things right now. Right now. He is reigning over this pandemic. That's good news today, isn't it? He is ruling and reigning over it. He is ruling and reigning over every government decision, over every election that is going on. He is ruling and reigning over your job situation right now. Jesus is over all the sorrow you and I have faced, maybe are facing, or will face. He is over all. He is over what you are anxious about. He is over all of creation. He's over the church. And here's great news. He's over the future. Amen. Jesus is ruling and reigning over the future. And here's what this means for us. Here's what this good news means for us today. It's the big idea of our text today, but also it's really the big idea for our entire ministry year. Here it is. Because Jesus is Lord over all, we must exalt him in all. That's what this means for us. Because Jesus is Lord over all, because he is ruling and reigning and sovereignly working out according to his good plans and purposes, we must exalt him in all. And why is that so important? Because here's the reality. Think about this. Every moment of every day, you and I make a decision about what, what or who we will exalt and give first place. In every moment of our lives, we make a decision about what or who will have first place and what we ultimately will exalt in that situation. In this church, when we hear the next news report, who are we going to exalt in that and put in his rightful place? When we scroll on social media or we make posts on social media, 
Who will we exalt? We make that decision. We have that decision every time. When we're in that conversation, who are we going to exalt in that moment? Who will be preeminent for us in that moment? When that fear creeps in, or that anxiety or discouragement or disappointment, right in the middle of that hardship or that situation we're facing, who will we exalt? See, we have this decision in front of us all the time. And the problem is, if we're honest, you and I will exalt or give first place to other things over Jesus quite often, don't we? We become anxious and fearful when we are exalting men or other things over Jesus. We become discouraged and disappointed and let it bring us to the point of despair when we take our eyes off Christ and set them just on our situation. And what we're ultimately saying when we, when we refuse to exalt Christ and his ruling and reigning authority over what we face, we're saying, Jesus, I don't trust you. We would probably not say that with our mouths, but our hearts, our minds, our lives sure are showing it, aren't they? Jesus, I don't trust you. And the result of this is we take on increasingly the priorities, attitudes, values, opinions of this world. And it just leads us further and further away from him. And the result of this is that instead of living in the peace that Jesus promises, we live with anxiety. Instead of living in the hope of the gospel, we live in despair. Instead of walking by faith, we live in fear. Instead of living with the joy of the Lord, as Jesus promises, we live with anger. Instead of living in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ, as a picture of the unity within God himself, we are divided. Instead of walking in humility, we walk in pride. When we refuse to exalt Jesus in our circumstance, instead of living in the truth, we live in deception. And instead of living as faithful witnesses, we compromise. See, the truth is, you, individually, us, corporately, must let right theology of who Jesus is fuel the right priority of him being exalted at all times and in all things, no matter what we face or we're going to drift. Right theology must lead to a right priority of having Jesus over all, in all things. And here in our text today, we will see three truths of who Jesus is. I can't wait for this. Three truths of who Jesus is that must ground our faith, loved ones, and must shape our perspective in all things, at all times, if we are to stay faithful on mission and see Jesus glorified in all things. You ready for this? I can't wait for this. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word and let's read scripture together. You ready to read it together, Hope Bible Church? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Let's go. The preeminence of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. Such a beautiful text. Hear the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Amen. You may be seated, loved ones. Well, Jesus is Lord and he reigns over all creation. Jesus is Lord and he reigns over all creation. Why? Because he is sovereign. Let that sink in to our hearts today. Jesus rules and reigns over all creation. And why? Because he is sovereign. Jesus is reigning with all authority and power. But here's the question we must be confronted with today. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Let's get our context. Here we are in 60 to 62 AD, first century. The apostle Paul is writing from a prison in Rome to the church in Colossae. That is modern day Turkey. You'll see a picture of it up there. Now the church in Colossae is about five, between five and 10 years old at this point. It was started by a man named Epaphras who traveled from Colossae to Ephesus to hear Paul preaching the gospel. God gets a hold of Epaphras. He gets saved. He goes back to Colossae, starts preaching the gospel. Now people start getting saved and the church is formed. And because of where Colossae was situated, it was made up of a mixture of uh, Jews and Gentiles. And the church is in crisis. And this crisis was that there was uh, it was increasingly divided, all right, as heresy and false teaching were plaguing it. Now, we can't say exactly what this Colossian heresy was, as it is commonly referred to, but what we can tell from Paul's letter to confront it is that it involved a combination of Jewish legalistic practices and Gentile pagan mysticism practices that deny the true gospel by minimizing the complete work of Christ and his sufficiency for salvation. Now, how did it do this? Well, remember we said Jewish legal uh, legalism uh, holding up the law? Well, it denies the deity of Jesus and taught that in addition to Jesus, so you need to be saved in Jesus, but um, as a result, you need to add on to that by rigidly upholding the Old Testament laws and rituals if you were going to be saved. So it was Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. Jesus plus uh, dietary laws equals salvation. You get in the picture, right? So that's the, the Jewish legalism that's mixed in and denying the true gospel. But also, remember, Gentile pagan mysticism, it also denies the supremacy or lordship of Jesus over all powers, over all spiritual powers, by embracing the worship of angels as the means of deliverance from evil spirits. And we see forms of this going on all across the world today, worshiping this to, to avoid evil spirits and calling on this person or this, this so-called divine power. We see it going on across the world today. Right? And so to confront this heresy that's shredding the church, Paul writes to exhort the church to greater maturity in Christ. What does that mean? Knowing clearly who Christ is and what the true gospel is, what he has done, and why this? Why would Paul focus on this? Because knowing the true doctrine of Christ is the greatest safeguard against heresy in the church even today. And so what Paul does here is he unpacks the doctrine of Jesus in what is nothing less, loved ones, than one of the greatest Christological passages in the New Testament. These six verses right here answer the question so clearly, who is Jesus? All right, let's get into this. We got our context. Let's go. 15 to 17. Paul says this, he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, that is Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, Paul starts out by saying in verse 15, notice that, that Jesus is the image of God. Now, circle 
image because this verse right here has been used for so much heretical teaching in and outside of the church today. The word image there means Jesus is the perfect likeness of God. He is the perfect reflection of the character and life of God the Father. And what's he saying right there? Jesus is fully God in every way. Jesus is fully God in every way. Paul's saying right here, through Jesus, the invisible God became visible. Remember, in our series from the Gospel of John, when we walked through John 1.14, it's the doctrine of what's called the Incarnation. Jesus becoming a man, living on earth as fully God and fully man. That's why John 1.14 says the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And then Paul goes on to say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, circle the word firstborn there because a lot of people will look at this and say, well, that means Jesus was created. He wasn't fully God. He doesn't have total deity. No, no, no. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not stating here that Jesus was the first thing created or even created at all. Anyone who teaches this verse to say that, that's, that's false hermeneutics. All right? That's not true biblical interpretation. Watch. And, and Paul will unpack this and we'll see proof for that in the coming verses. What Paul is saying here, though, is when he says firstborn, he's not talking about the chronological firstborn. In the Greek text here, this word firstborn is used to say Jesus is highest in rank over creation. He is supreme in position over all creation. And you say, well, okay, that's great news, but, but how do you know that? Well, let's read the Bible in context. Don't just take a verse out and then twist it to whatever you want. Read verses 16 and 17, because as we go on to read it, we will see that Paul goes on to declare that Jesus created all things through him and for him. That is, for his purposes and for his glory. All right? It's impossible for one who is created to be the creator of all things, right? And so what Paul is going on to say here is that Jesus created all things for his purpose and glory. He's the agent of creation. And as the creator of all things, he is above all things and has all power and authority and sovereignty. Just read the text over every single created thing and being in the universe, whether they are visible, as we see there in verse 16, that is the natural material world, all right, everything in the material world, including rulers and authorities, but also even over the invisible, that is the supernatural realm, all right, the spiritual world. This includes Angels, remember the heresy confronting the church, the worship of angels, denying the supremacy of Christ to deliver you. You have to go to an angel. He's like, no, no, no. Jesus is over the angels. He created them. He created them. All thrones, all dominions, all authorities and rulers, invisible and invisible. That's good news today, isn't it, loved ones? Praise the Lord. And we see in verse 17 that Jesus is fully God. What did he do? He eternally existed before all these things. And I love this. I love this about our God. That Jesus didn't just create all things and then kind of step back as a passive observer and say, Well, creation, you're on your own. Go fend for yourself. No, no, no. I love this. Did you see the text? He didn't just leave us on our own as a passive observer. No, no, no. He sustains. He is imminent. He is sustaining all things. And he holds them in perfect balance and arrangement in his sovereignty, by his power, for his glory. Praise the Lord. Now, we just need to stop right there because, man, that is just unloaded. Hey, Paul just unloads this beautiful doctrine in front of us. But we have to stop and let the gravity of this truth hit us afresh today, especially us who are already saved in Jesus Christ and can so easily take this 
for granted and miss the power in it. See, Jesus created and sustains, get what this means, ready? The entire water cycle. Hey kids, you're starting school again. Praise the Lord. Some of y'all gonna gonna learn about the water cycle, you know? There's water and then it evaporates and it goes in the clouds and it transforms back into liquid and then it precipitates and it just goes around and around and around. Next time you see that in your science class, you say, hey, Jesus does that. He created that. He's sustaining that. Man, talk about gospel witness in your classroom. Go, Lord. Right? Jesus is maintaining all of the water cycle, the element of life, the element that is needed for all of life. Jesus is maintaining it. How about this? Jesus is maintaining and created every single cell that has ever divided. Right there, you see it. There's plant cells right there. Just think about all the plants in this world. Just cell division going on. Oh, oh yeah, and let's not forget every human cell. Jesus created it. And he's sustaining. He didn't just leave it on its own. Jesus created and sustains photosynthesis. You know, when I'm on my prayer walks in the morning and, and I see all these green leaves and, and the photosynthesis and the chlorophyll that's going on in those leaves to produce oxygen and all of this stuff. Yeah, Jesus sustains that in every single leaf. At the same time, That's awesome. Jesus created and sustains every crop ever grown. Next time you're driving by farmer's field and you see those rows of uh, corn maize and all, and all those soya beans and all that stuff, just think, man, Jesus is, <laughs> Jesus is sustaining all of that at the same time. And that, this is just one field. Never mind the billions of other crops going on around the world. Jesus created and sustains every tide and water level, every water current or wind current, just all at the same time. Jesus created and sustains all molecules in every element in this world, every solid, liquid, gas, and every molecule that makes up those. He just sustains them all. Perfect balance. And, and here's one that really blew my mind as well. Jesus created and sustains not just the earth, but even like the tilt axis of the earth as it goes around the sun. So we don't all burn up if it's tilted the wrong way closer to the sun. Or we don't all freeze to death because it's tilted a little bit more too far away from it. He just sustains it. Going around. And, and, oh, and that's just the earth, not to mention every single other planet and star that he holds in place. Billions of them. That picture you see there is just our galaxy. That's just the Milky Way, not including the billions of others that they've discovered. So that, that's like the external environment. Now let's let's get this personal. Let's drill down. You know, we are not created to be self-sufficient, although we really like to try to be, don't we? We're actually not, but we are completely dependent on Jesus at all times and in all things for life. Every breath you take, guess who gave that to you? Right now, go like this. Everyone, go, go. And breathe out. Who gave that to you? Jesus. Who sustains you when you breathe? Jesus. No Jesus, no life. How about this? Every heartbeat. You know, we spend, we spend a huge chunk of our lives asleep. Do we monitor our own heartbeats? No. Who does that when we're asleep and we're clueless? Jesus. Every rod and cone in your eyes. You know? So you can see color or black and white. And they constantly... Who sustains all that in over 9 billion people in this world right now? Jesus. Every ounce of blood in every human's body. Oh yeah, and the animals at the same time. Who sustains that? They create that. Jesus. Every nerve impulse in your hand. You know, just go like this. Go like this. Let's have fun. Come on. 
Go like this, just a little thing with the finger, you know? Do you know how many thousands of synapses are firing in your brain right now to make sure you and I can just keep going? Just do that. Look at that. Who does that? Jesus. Every single nerve impulse going, chemical synapse in your brain to make that possible, Jesus. And let's take that a little broader again. Look at the events happening in this world, right? And, and it's so easy to look at them and become fearful and anxious, right? We can do that. I've struggled with that before times too. But loved one, here's the reality. Peace. Have peace. Jesus is sovereign and he's reigning over this world. Remember from our text? For his glory and his purposes. Ready? Through every ounce of climate change. He's reigning and he's sustaining through every natural disaster. As awful as those consequences can, can be, Jesus is still ruling. He is still reigning. In this pandemic, over every ruler. That's good news today, huh? Jesus is sovereign and reigning over every ruler, every government leader, and every election that will ever take place. All of them are subject to him and are for his glory. And loved ones, even when it seems like this world is descending into chaos, and coming apart, and even when it seems so confusing, and we don't understand, and there's grief and sorrow, and it feels deep in our lives, rest assured from that beautiful truth from a little song in Sunday school we used to sing, he's got the whole world in his, say it, hands. Moment by moment. Jesus is reigning with all authority and power. Hey, will you trust in him? That his wisdom is greater than ours? That his plans are greater than ours? That his power is greater than ours? And you may say, well, it's so hard to trust. I mean, I look around and I've said that to loved ones. I've said it too, I'm right there with you. You look around and you see the devastation. You see the direction of this world. You see the sorrow that seems to be mounting and the suffering and the wars and the conflict. And then right here, right here in that place, right theology, remember, must move to a, move us to a right priority of exalting Jesus in his rightful place and say, Jesus, this grief is deep, but you are over my what? Over my fear. You are over this situation that I am faced with. You are over the suffering. You are ruling and reigning over this. And cry out to him, loved ones. We must cry out, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. My heart aches for the suffering and the hurting. It seems to be gripping with fear and anxiety. And what's going to happen this? And this election and all this climate change stuff. What's going to happen Lord, I believe you created, I believe you sustain, I believe you are ruling and reigning, but help my unbelief. I believe that you are reigning over, what is it? Let's just fill that out. Jesus, I believe that you are reigning over what? My health crisis. You are reigning over the direction of this country. You are reigning over what? This pandemic, fill in the blank. And say, Lord, help me to believe that you are sovereignly working it out for your glory and out of love for me. And all that I'm fearful of, all that I'm anxious about is subject to you. And you will only work for your glory and out of love for me. Help me to trust you, follow you, and to exalt your name right in the middle of that. And as you do, as I do, we will know his peace, remembering who he is, right theology, fueling right practice, right priority. We will know his peace, his comfort, his assurance, his joy, and his strength right in the middle of it. See, Jesus is Lord and he reigns over all creation. And with this, hey, check this out. 
Jesus is Lord and he reigns over the church. He reigns over the church. Why? Because he's the head of it. He is the head. Only Jesus is the head of the church. That's good news for us today. Only Jesus is head of the church. But here's the question for us. Will you submit to him? Will you submit to him? Look at verse 18. And he, that is Jesus, is the head of the body. What's the body? The church, Christ's body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. See, Paul declares here that not only is Jesus preeminent and supreme in rank in the old creation, in the creation you see around us, he is preeminent in the new creation. Isn't that awesome? The new creation that he has inaugurated by being the first to rise from the dead through his resurrection. After he died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, and after he was buried for three days, and he rose again, defeating the power of sin and death, and triumphed over his enemy, Satan. See, this is why Paul declares that Jesus is the head of the church. Now, we have to get a proper perspective and, and, and zero in on the truth of what Paul is saying when he says, means by, when he says head. Okay, circle the word head there in verse 18. The word head there means the source. He is the origin. See, Jesus has the supreme and highest rank over the church. And he is the only, everyone say only, go, only source of life and direction for it. It is his body. Jesus is the only source of life for the church, the only source of its direction. He gave and gives life to it through his death and resurrection. And all those who repent of their sin and believe in him only as their savior, as the Messiah, what happens to them? They become a new creation. As he removes the heart of stone that is dead in sin, and gives a heart of flesh and raises them from death to life and they become part of his body, the church, as they are reconciled to God. That means made into a right relationship, having peace with God. And they are the first fruits of the new creation that we will see in full when he comes back. See, here's the key we need to get from verse 18 and lock into today. Without Jesus... There is no church. I'll say it again. Without Jesus, there is no church. It started with him. It is built by him. And it is for the glory of him. He is supreme. He is preeminent in all things. Old creation and the new creation. That he might be preeminent. See, and I love the picture Paul uses here of the human body, right? And there's a beautiful illustration. He uses it as the head. Now think about this. Without the head, think of our bodies. There's no life in the body, is there? Why? Because the brain controls the body. You know, I used to uh, be in applied health sciences in university and be able to handle human brains. And it's fascinating to see that the, the, the God-given capacity for the brain to control and regulate the functions of the body in submission to Christ. It's incredible. See, the brain, it tells what needs to happen. It tells the body what needs to happen. And when it needs to happen. So that what? It can stay healthy. So the body can stay healthy. So that it can grow stronger. So that the body can work together with all its pieces and, and blood vessels and nerves and muscles and all this. So that it can work together in unity. The brain regulates the function. To keep the body under control. So the body can be protected. The body can think clearly. And regulate its functions and give direction to it. See, and, and, and just as the brain is the source of life for the body, so Jesus is the source of life for the church. This is what Paul's saying right here. The church can only be energized and given spiritual life 
by the power of Jesus. And sadly, we see today so many people confessing Jesus Christ, even so many churches putting other things as supreme. Man's opinions, the priorities of the world, the values of the world, putting other things as supreme, putting other things as their head, putting other things that they're clinging to as the source of life. Well, if we just do this, then we'll just get more people in here. And if we just hang on to this and make this a prayer, put Jesus to the side, water down the gospel a bit to, so, so we can cling to more people coming. Listen, listen, they're replacing Christ's commands with their preferences of how they want church to be. And Jesus will not bless it. There's only one head of the church. There's only one who is to be supreme. It's not man. It's not the priorities or values of this world. It's Jesus Christ. See, they, it, it, watch out, loved ones. We cannot replace Christ's authority with man's inferiority. We are subject to him. He is not subject to us. No Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no life. See, only Jesus is the head of the church. Will you submit him? Will we? As we launch into this ministry here, is this all about our plans and our purpose and all this? Are we bringing them submission to Christ and say, Jesus, you must increase, I must decrease. And you say, well, what does, what does a life of submission to Christ look like? Well, here, by God's grace in our fall series, most of our fall preaching series is going to be focused on one series, Jesus over the church, living in uncommon community. Jesus' desires for his church. I can't wait to unpack that over the next number of weeks, starting in a few weeks. But right now, what does this mean for us individually, as families? Here's what it means. John 15, 4 to 5. I pray this never escapes our hearts. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus says, abide in me. A life in submission to Christ is a life that abides with Christ. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he makes it really clear. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, apart from the head, you can do nothing. No spiritual good. See, the word abide there means remember to remain in unhindered fellowship with Christ. To remain in unhindered fellowship with him through his word. Not just five minutes a day, but bringing him many times a day. Storing it up in our heart. When you go into that meeting, remembering the word of God inviting him in in prayer, just a constant life of prayer and increasing obedience in his power. The abiding life is the submitted life. It's not ever, uh, I want it my way. I want my preferences for how the church should be running and how my family should be running. I just want it my way, but the submitted life, the abiding life says, Christ wants it this way. Christ wants it this way, in season and out of season, he wants it this way. The abiding life, the submitted life, is a life of increasing humility that says, Jesus, you must increase and I must decrease. Your word, not mine. Your ways, not mine. Your desires, say it, not mine. Your strength, not mine. Your timing, not mine. Hey, loved one, where do you need to repent of your desire to be the head? In your marriage, in your own life, in this church, and a member of it. Where do you need to repent of your desire to be the head, to control, to conform others to your preferences instead of Christ's principle? Where? Where, where do you need to repent? Where do I need to repent of trying to be preeminent? In all things, there's only one who is preeminent. Amen? And it's not you or me.
See, Jesus is Lord, and he reigns over all creation. He is sovereign. And he reigns over the church. He's the head. And also we see here, Jesus is Lord, and he reigns over the future. Isn't that good news? Jesus is Lord, he reigns over the future. And what's the future? Ready? Redemption. Redemption. I pray that's encouraging for you today. Here's why. Jesus will fulfill God's plan and bring peace. Anyone longing for peace? Anyone else? Anyone longing for peace? There it is. But will you live by fear or by faith? Look at 19 and 20. For in him, that is in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Amen. Amen. See, Paul declares here that it pleased God to have all of his fullness. What does that mean? Circle that word fullness in verse 19. It means all of God's wisdom, all of his power, all of his attributes, all of his word, all of his glory, and it pleased him to have his fullness dwell in Jesus. Notice what that is. There's a declaration of Jesus' deity. He's not a created being. He is God Almighty, the great I Am. Amen? And that through Jesus coming to earth as fully God, And fully man and dying on the cross for our sin and rising again, defeating the power of sin and defeating, here it is, the power of its impact on all of creation, on all the creation you see around us. Here's what he promises. God will reconcile. You see that in verse 20? Circle reconcile and write in your margin, great news, great news, good news. God will reconcile. That means redeem all things in heaven and on earth to himself and establish peace once and for all. There's the future. There is the future. Now, we need to be clear on two things. The first thing is this. The impact of Christ's resurrection from the dead, it doesn't stop at the church, right? Do you ever stop to think, What Paul is speaking of here, this beautiful truth, that Christ's resurrection impacts every part of creation that is groaning and longing to be redeemed and have the impact of sin removed from it. As we see in Romans 8, all creation is groaning and longing for redemption to be made new and to be at peace as it is brought back to its divinely created and determined place. This creation you see around us is longing and groaning for redemption, to be at peace. Just read Romans 8 and you will see it so clearly. So that's the first thing we see, that the impact of Jesus' resurrection doesn't stop at the church. It impacts all of creation in reconciling back to God. Now, here's the second thing we need to be clear of. What Paul is saying here, it doesn't mean that all people will be saved. Oh, does that mean all people will be, you know, saved in Jesus Christ? Or did, no, 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 here's what it means. But it means that Jesus will defeat. Remember, all things are subject to him. Supernatural, in the natural, all things are subject to him. And he will defeat all rebellion against him. And all will bow and submit to him and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Is that right in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11? The Prince of Peace will return and he will reign. There's the future. Let that encourage your heart today. And you say, well, well how can I be sure? Like, where's the evidence of this in, in the world? Today, well, we see this longing for reconciliation. We see this longing for redemption all around us, don't we, in this fallen world that's been so impacted by sin. You say, what do you mean? Well, we see it in our own lives. Don't we long to see true justice? 
when we see calamities going on in the world, when we see hatred and war and racism and, and segregation and division and homelessness and poor, like, honestly, don't you just long for true justice in that moment? There's something inside of us that longs for that and for pain and sorrow. Look at this pandemic. Even non-Christians, we see this. They long for pain and sickness to be removed. Where do you think that comes from? Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says he's placed eternity in the heart of man. There's a longing for this reconciliation, for things to be made right. We know things are not supposed to be this way. And we see it all around us and we feel it. Christian, non-Christian, even creation, we feel it. We see it in our own lives, but look at this. We're in an entertainment culture, right? We're so addicted to screens and all this stuff. Well, we see it in books. We see it in movies. We see it in TV shows. I mean, I just walked the hall of the cinema that we're in right now. And you see movie after movie, and they all have the same underlying storyline. What is it? Creation. Things are going well at the start. Things are good. They're going well, just like creation here in Genesis. And then there's a fall. There's a conflict introduced. An enemy comes. and Or there's a problem that needs to be overcome. And we long in that with the tension in the movie, the tension in the show, in the book, whether it's Marvel or Disney or Hallmark, all of them are the same. We long to see good overcome evil, don't we? Where do you think that comes from? We long to see a hero overcome the enemy, for light to overcome the darkness. So we see creation, things going well at the start. Then there's the fall, problem, conflict, enemy. And then there's redemption, isn't there? At the end, the hero rises up. Why do you think TV series, they leave you hanging at the end? Because you're just like, I just have to see it. That's okay. How everything ends up, that's how they get you. It's the biblical narrative. There's redemption. The hero finally rises up. The enemy is defeated. The conflict or problem is overcome. And peace is restored. And there is consummation as things are brought back to the way they should be all around us. Loved ones, welcome to the biblical narrative. It's all, where do you think that longing comes from? The longing for reconciliation that he's put in our hearts. Parents, hey, disciple your kids. It's never just another story time, is it? It's never just another movie night. Is it? It's the same biblical narrative. Disciple them in this. Say, there's creation. You know, things are going well. Hey, did you know in Genesis chapter 1, things were going well? Uh Uh-oh, here's the enemy. Why don't you like the enemy? Why do you want to see him defeated? Well, I want to see good overcome evil. Where do you think that comes from in your heart? Parents, disciple your kids in this. Disciple them to long for heaven. To long for Jesus. It's all over the place. He's put it right in front of us. Stir the longing. Say, Lord, help me, help me. Stir it in my own heart. Stir it in the hearts of my children and the people around me as I proclaim the gospel to them in your power. See, Jesus will fulfill God's plan and bring peace. But here's our question today, church, as we launch into the ministry here. Will we live by fear at what's going on or by faith that Jesus has and will overcome it? And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, your first step of redemption is to repent of your sin, turn from it, and confess him as your Lord and Savior, the only Messiah, the only Savior, the only Sovereign. And he will reconcile you, and you will have peace with God. You will have peace with God. Will you come today when you hear his voice? Don't harden your heart. Say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you are the king. Jesus, you are the only savior. There's no other name under heaven by which I can be saved. Forgive me of my sin. And brothers and sisters in Christ who've made that decision, as A.W. Tozer said, he said, a scared world needs a fearless church. 
A scared world needs a fearless church. And we know through the truth of God's word, we know that redemption of this world is coming. Amen? There's the future. No matter how bad it looks, no matter the chaos we think it's descending into, we know the redemption of this world is coming, that our future is secure. None can snatch us from Christ's hand, that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we, you and I, as Christ followers, have nothing to fear in this universe. I'm going to say that again as we go forth this week. You and I, if we are saved in Jesus Christ, have nothing to fear in this universe. All of it is subjected by the one who gave his life for us. Amen? And he is ruling and reigning, and Jesus is over all. He is the Lord, reigning over all creation. It is all subject to him, reigning over the church. He is the head and will build it for his glory, no matter what opposition may try to come against that. And he is Lord and reigning over the future. Redemption is coming, and all will be made right. Live in light of that day. Praise the Lord. Let's go forth today. Hope Bible Church into this ministry here in great faith. Say, Lord, increase my faith in his power, united in him, living on mission, declaring that Jesus alone is Lord and exalting him in all and he will build his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Well, Jesus Christ, this is who you are. And I pray all over this place right now, as we are gathered together, and, and those watching online would just be stirred with that longing for eternity and knowing your peace afresh and your strength afresh and the hope that we have in you afresh, that you are ruling and reigning. No matter what comes down this week, you are ruling and reigning. It is all subject to you, and it is for your glory. And you will work for your good purposes out of your love and for the good of those who love you and have been called by you. There is nothing to fear. Oh, Lord, the scared world needs a fearless church. May they find one right here. Help us, Lord. Help us to live in light of this truth that Jesus is over all and may you be exalted in all. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Loved ones, will you stand and respond in worship with us today?